Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. again. It is a Tuesday, the 12th of April, 2022. I'm Carmen LaBerge. It is the Tuesday of Holy Week. Hopefully you are reading the Bible together with us uh, at Faith Radio. You can join us at MyFaithRadio.com if you're not already signed up to do that. We're going to, via email, send you a downloadable study guide for the week. It's free. There's also a prayer guide and there's a daily podcast, all of it at MyFaithRadio.com. Love it if you would join us. The question before us today, as we walk with Jesus during Holy Week, is the question of authority. By what authority are you doing these things? What gives you the right to judge? Um, So when we turn to Jesus with those kinds of questions, it's not a what, but a who. Who gives Jesus the authority? Well, Jesus has the authority as a, you know, full member of the Trinity, right? He is co-eternal But he's also um, granted the authority by the Father. So Jesus possessed in his life on earth and possesses now, um, risen and ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus possesses all authority in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And one day, every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We don't yet live in that day. We all know that. Not everyone acknowledges Jesus's authority. Not everyone recognizes him for who he really is. But that does not change the fact that Jesus is Lord Almighty. So just because people don't recognize the authority of Jesus or don't bow down to him doesn't change the reality of who Jesus is. Um, You're not going to vote him off the throne, so to speak. So throughout Jesus's ministry, People were trying to figure him out. They were trying to figure out, you know, who is this guy? Um, Or who does he think he is? Um, Who's his daddy? I mean, all those kinds of questions. So what does he know and how does he know it? How could he do that? How could he do what he does? How is he accomplishing these miracles? By what authority is he teaching signs, miracles? I mean, you remember that Jesus is described as teaching as one who had authority, not as the um, scribes and the Pharisees. The wind and the waves obeyed him. Like, who is this guy? He cast out demons. Did he do that by Beelzebub? How? By what authority? He brought back Lazarus from the dead. Who does that? Who is this Jesus? By what authority does he operate? Um, A.W. Tozer said that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So let me ask you today, what comes to your mind when you think about God? What comes to your mind? What feeling rises in your heart when you consider Jesus? 
We live in a day and a time that is dominated by personal autonomy. We imagine that we can make ourselves or remake ourselves in our own image. Um, We imagine that we can make a name for ourselves. We imagine that God is subservient to us in some way. We can guide and direct him to do what we want, as if God were made in our image, as if God were in submission to us at our beck and call, subordinate to our will. You know, God coming along with me. That's a, that's not just a reversal and a subversion of the truth. That's a perversion of reality. That's literally the wrong ordering of things. Nothing could be further from the truth. So it's easy to imagine that we have that authority because of all the power literally within the palm of our hand. The day and time and place that we live in leads us to believe that we are um, gods. And we have reimagined the reality of God. And those reimaginings are just as offensive to God as the golden calf conceived and crafted by the Israelites in the wilderness when Moses seemed to be gone too long for that face-to-face meeting he had with the reality of God on the mountain. We don't like waiting. We don't like being told how to think, and we don't like being told how to live. We like operating in the fullness of the freedom of the will that God has given us. But as Christians, we do so in joyful submission to the active presence and work of the Holy Spirit. We don't give up anything in submitting to God. In fact, we gain everything. So if you're still trying to figure out Jesus, you're not alone. And the Holy Spirit is available right now to open your eyes that you might see Jesus for who he really is and prepare you to receive him as Lord of all. Today's question in Holy Week is a question of authority. And I'm living in submission to Jesus. What about you? Next up, Dr. Brett Nix joins us from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is Faith Radio. Dr. Brett Nix is back. He serves with the Christian Medical and Dental Association. He's an ER doc. You can find him at his website, brettnixmd.com. Brett, good morning. Hey, Carmen, good morning. Happy Easter week. Yeah, happy happy Holy Week. Happy Easter week. Amen. Um, All right. Talk with us about COVID. Talk with us about variants. Um, We have a listener who wants to know about getting a second booster, um, just, you know, brief us in. Yeah. You know, I want to just think about this for a moment. What were you doing two years ago? Think about this, depending on where you are in the U S or where you're listening from, this is about the time where wherever you were, things were shutting down and, and or had just shut down. And now think about where you are two years later, the trials you've gone through, the challenges you faced within your family, within your career, perhaps with your health. Um, and here we are now, two years later, having a conversation about, COVID again. And what's fascinating is think back to January. Now, just a couple months back uh, in January, we had probably the middle of January, about 800,000 cases in the U.S. Uh, Since that time, we are down 96% from those cases related to Omicron. 
And even more importantly, you know, I just came off a night shift. I'm literally just got home and we have 90% of our hospitalizations related to COVID down as well since January. And now we're talking about Omicron, the BA2 variant. And the only reason we're talking about it really quite honestly is because of what we see in Europe. Uh, for those who watch the news, you may have heard that in the UK in the last, you know, over the last month, they've had an increase of about 20% of these cases. And with that, about 20% increase of hospitalizations after they hit their, their lower levels that we saw in January as well. Uh, and so people have been asking, even you know, in the emergency department, hey, what, what's next? Uh, you know, are we going to see another variant, this one, Omicron, uh, as it relates to BA2 or something downstream? The answer is going to be yes. Uh, but what we're seeing is simply this. We had such a huge wave of infections. We had such a, a large number of people that are vaccinated that right now we're really what we're looking at is uh, really a substantial decrease in the level of illness that people are having that are getting it. Uh, and so I don't know that we're going to see this crazy outburst that we saw in January. I don't anticipate that. One of the things that people also ask is, hey, I had Omicron back in December or January. Can I get reinfected with the new variant? And the answer is it's possible, but very, very unlikely. Um, and so the things that we're looking at on a going forward basis are, hey, go back to the stuff that you know to be true. Good hand hygiene. Wash your hands. Don't touch your face. Uh, if you are somebody who's at risk, make sure that you're aware of those that are around you, especially for those that might have illness. And, oh, by the way, it's spring. Pollens are out. It's really difficult to say what's a cold, what's a virus, what's an allergy, those types of things. Um, and to the question that your, your listener had, uh, what about you know, further vaccinations as it stands? You know, what we're looking at as the data, as best we can tell, is that if you've had a booster at any point in time, that booster is probably going to be really good for you for about three months, and then it starts to wane over a duration of time. If you had, let's say, you've had your two shots initially, maybe a booster downstream of that, and then you got COVID in January, you're probably topped off your immune system as good as it can be, but with anything over time, the coverage that you have continues to decline. Um, at this point in time, again, for those that are at high risk, booster considerations are certainly a value. That being said, uh, what we're seeing as far as the level of illness in those that have very, very low risks, uh, it, it, it begs into question at this point in time, how much further do we need to go down the road before we stop having additional boosters or vaccinations? All right. We're talking with Dr. Brett Nix um, from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. Uh, so, Brett, let's um, let's take a brief pause. When we come back, if you can help us understand what in the world is happening in Canada um, they are offering doctor-assisted suicide not only to the mentally ill, um, but no longer maybe with a residential um, requirement or barrier. Like, there's all kinds of things going on. We'd love for you to help us understand this important life issue. We're talking with Dr. Brett Nix. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. We're continuing our conversation with Dr. Brett Nix from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. You can find them at cmda.org. Brett, um, what is going on with Canada? Uh, remind us what doctor-assisted suicide is and talk with us about its extension to those who are um, diagnosed as mentally ill. Boy, I tell you, these are, uh, these are challenging times we face. We just finished talking about COVID. We've known the things that we've been facing in the last couple of years. And for those uh, in the medical community and those that just have uh, a lot of challenges, we've seen an enormous uptick uh, in mental health-associated challenges, those with psychiatric problems and otherwise. 
uh, prior to COVID and exponentially so since then. And now in the news, you have this concern related to what's called medical aid in dying or MAID. And this is a, a, a term, obviously, for physician-assisted suicide to some degree. And what you're finding right now is while this has been in existence to some degree in some organizations and countries, for example, the Netherlands has had it for quite a, a long time, uh, Canada, as it relates to cancer-associated issues uh, and palliative care and those types of scenarios uh, in that environment, there's now on the horizon, perhaps a year from now, uh, in March of 2023, Canada may be offering this for psychiatric-associated patients, those with severe depression, those with bipolar disorder, maybe schizophrenia, those even with severe PTSD are being considered for this medical aid in dying. And, you know, when you think about this, what really is this? Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's significantly complicated because there's a large divide in the approach to the, to the mentally ill and the mental health field itself. Because we believe that there's always hope, that there always are options. And this is very different than cancer where you have a, a mass or a diagnostic issue that there may be not a therapy or a treatment, save a miracle, uh, that will, will change the direction of someone's life. And so now we're looking at something related to a medical aid in dying. Uh, but we recognize patients in the psychiatric space of mental health, they're struggling. We get that. But assisting death uh, when there's potential for decades of life possible – is one consideration. But what about the moral principle of medicine, right? Are we not called to care and to relieve suffering? Uh, you know, prescribing suicide is really an immoral slippery slope that is very, very difficult. And, you know, as, as someone as part of CMDA, it's something that we've talked about for a long time. Not only does it erode the patient and physician trust, but it's really incompatible with a physician's role as a healer. And the concerns that we have is who's going to be the, the, the guiding process here of determination. If somebody's having an episode of severe depression, yes, they think uh, you know that that life is is coming to an end, or maybe they have issues of suicidality uh, or other considerations. Um, how are we going to navigate the healing process of getting them to where they need to be, rather than offering uh, a, a scenario where a medical aid in dying is considered the right alternative? Uh, it's very concerning. Right now, it's really unclear. Uh, it'll unravel itself as far as the level of clarity come June of this year, where we'll have a better understanding of what exactly is being uh, described. Uh, but then it'll be rolled out in early 23. It's really troubling. Um, I mean, there's so many parts of the assisted suicide conversation that are particularly troubling. I think when we talk about uh, physician-assisted suicide and we're talking about you know, people who are supposed to be not only in a position of trust, but probably in the position where we do more confession than we do in any other environment, right? We tell our doctors, we tell our medical doctors more than we tell anybody else um, about what's really going on. And for that person to then be in a position um, to diagnose us as suffering with depression or bipolar disorder or on and on and on or PTSD and then to offer to, you know, potentially help us end that discomfort um, by assisting us in ending our life. Like I just, I just, I'm having a hard time imagining how a doctor um, doesn't feel like God in that circumstance. Yeah. And it is difficult because I want to challenge people that are listening to recognize we live in a prosperous and modern society, but unfortunately with that uh, struggle, trials, suffering, and death, 
we don't really embrace those things as normal. Instead, we live in a highlight reel of entitlement and believing that should something come our way that is difficult, uh, that meets these issues of trials or sufferings, maybe even a death in the family, when we're facing with these things, this is something that's very uncomfortable. We don't embrace that well. And I think because of that, these concepts around the medical aid and dying seem to rise to the surface, which basically says, hey, if you are suffering from something, I'm giving you an alternative rather than embracing what that is and trying to, to focus on the things that, yeah, you know what, I'm not downplaying the medical issue. I'm not downplaying the psychiatric issue. But there are always things uh, that should drive us towards the concept of grace, the concept of gratitude, the ability to serve in whatever capacity we have where we turn the focus away from ourselves and onto the God that created us and the people around us that we have relationship with. And that is the in internal struggle that I think we face as a society. Mm. So many challenges. All right, Brett, let's talk a little bit about springtime. Um, you know, you're an ER doc. What what are things we should be thinking about, paying attention to, anticipating simply because it's spring? Oh, man, I tell you, I love spring. I love seasons. Uh, I live in North Carolina, and we have wonderful seasons. And with the seasons, there's always something unique. Uh, and, of course, for those uh, that have noticed, unlike those that are uh, perhaps in North Dakota today having a winter blizzard pass through, increasing activities. You get outside. You get active. You have opportunities to just to embrace it. And why is this important? Because we know that activities are important for your heart, your mind, and your body. But also with activity outside, you get sun exposure. And what we know about that is if you get at least 30 minutes a day, and believe it or not, the best time to get sun exposure, not for a tan per se, but is actually in the morning. It actually changes your body's dynamic, lowers your blood pressure, increases your immune system, changes the mood that you will have for the rest of that day. But with these types of things, as the sun exposure increases or the, the daylight hours increase, people struggle with simple things like sleep hygiene. Make sure you get good sleep. If you don't have a dark enough room, get a little uh, face mask or get some type of a dark shade blinder for your rooms and make sure that you navigate what that is for the optimal amounts. The one thing that we do see right now is pollen. Okay, so people that have sleep problems to begin with, uh, you may develop upper respiratory symptoms. Uh, and with that, many times you have a decrease in the quality of your sleep. And then the decrease of your rest obviously is going to affect that. Bottom line, at any, any season or whatever else, Look for what's fresh. I mean, you're going you're gonna to start seeing different vegetables, different things coming around. And what am I talking about? I'm talking about nutrition. Decreased processed foods, increased uh, fresh opportunities there. And why is that important? As with all of these things, it increases your immunity. It decreases your stress. You build these things together, and you take that with you every single day, your life will change. Yeah, and plant a garden. There you go. That'll be my get outside and um, get a little sun, do it early in the day. So I'm going to advocate for early day gardening. There you go. How's that? I'm rolling it all in there together, Brett. You got it. Yeah, good night's sleep. Get up, roll out in the garden, find your sunshine, and get ready for what the harvest will be later this year. Right? All right, what are you planning? Do you plant a garden, and if so, what's in it? Uh, so it's a great question. This year, I have not planned to plant a garden. However, over the last uh, cycle of the last last year, last fall, we transplanted and have uh, planted a bunch of different berries. So blackberries, raspberries, blueberries, uh, because my kids are berry fiends, as am I. And so we are very hopeful that they will be successful this year. Uh, the only thing else that will get in the ground aside from those will be uh, a variety of cherry tomatoes. 
All right. I love it. Thank you so much for that farm report. That's early in the week for us for the Farm Report, but we appreciate it. That's Dr. Brett Nix. You can find him um, online, uh, and you can also uh, visit him at cmda.org. Brett, as always, thanks so much. Thank you, Carmen, and happy Easter. Happy Easter. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. We're going to take a break for Breakpoint. Sing to Jesus. All right, so when you think about what's going on um, in the United States of America, do you recognize that we are polarized? Would you would you like for there to be unity? You know, I mean, one of the things that Luke Moon pointed out is sometimes, you know, frankly, we like the fight. We don't really want to make peace, and we don't want to do the things that make for peace. So I want you to ask yourself that question. Do I really want to overcome the polarization in which we now live? Do I really want to discover unity? Do I really want to be an agent of healing, um, a, a person of peace? Do I, I mean, do I really want that? If so, then we're going to discover how to do that. The book is Cold Civil War. Overcoming Polarization, Discovering Unity, and Healing the Nation. Jim Belcher, Pastor Jim Belcher, is the author. But I really want you to settle into the question, do I really want that? I mean, do I just really like to fight? Do I really want peace? Do I really want to discover unity? Do I really want to be an agent of healing in the nation? Um, And then, you know, check in with the Holy Spirit on that. Um, If your answer is, no, you know what? Frankly, I I just like to fight. Because we really are called to be peacemakers. So next up, a conversation with pastor and author Jim Belcher, Cold Civil War. I cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus and died for me. Joining us now, Jim Belcher. He, uh, he is a pastor and a writer and a dad and a homeschooler. Hey, Jim, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, so I um, I remember you from your pilgrimage and from the book where you shared about that. Um, mm-hmm. And so it was a delight to discover this new book, and I would love to talk with you today about cold civil war. Let's start with defining that term. What do you mean by cold civil war? Well, it's 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 the opposite of a hot war to start. So, you know, there's no tanks and bullets and guns and armies invading. Um, but it it's it's definitely a civil war in the sense you've got two sides or more kind of fighting one another in 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 culture and economics and politics. Um, and it's it's cold at this point. It hasn't tipped into the realm of hot, but we just seem to be reaching a tipping point of where that we're so polarized, so divided, just everybody shouting at each other that we're just we're at a we're at a pretty dangerous place, um, and we've been there for a few years. And so I wanted to write a book where I explained the depth of the polarization and why how we got here. Like, wh- where did we lose the commonality, or what uh, was once called the, the the vital center that both Democrats and Republicans could agree on? That's gone, and now it's it just seems it's just a cold civil war. All right. So in your book, you, you this concept of the vital center, I want you to unpack that a little more. And then you also have this vital center 
quadrant graph. Um, can you? It's hard on radio to introduce that, but can you can you talk people a little bit through that? Yeah. So what I absolutely, you know, as I'm trained in political philosophy as well as theology, um, and I needed to find a way to explain all the different voices speaking in uh, to our political system, and it it can get really, really confusing. And so I kind of stumbled upon it was a little bit of an aha moment where I I designed a quadrant instead of a spectrum with a left and a right, and each side, each Republicans and Democrats have have really two sides to them, and I, that's the quadrant. So there's two quad, two parts of, of the four on each side. And then I just break it down. I mean, there, it's, it's somewhat of a taxonomy. It's kind of a, it's a map to explain what is going on and how up until about the fifth, 1950s, we had for the most part a vital center. It was starting to be eroded. The foundation, particularly the Judeo-Christian foundation, was being eroded from underneath, but at least it was there. But by the 60s and the 70s, it was gone, and it's, it's gotten uh, more decimated, more uh, eroded since then. And what, when you don't have that vital center, nobody knows what it means to def- – how do you define America? How do you define what it means to, an Amer- to be an American citizen? What is justice? What, are, what is the glue that holds us together? And so what I do after I explain that is I say, well, let me lay out a, a public philosophy because evangelicals just don't spend a lot of time. You know, we're great at opposing, and, and that's part of what it means to be in a democratic republic. But we don't. We also don't know how to build. We don't know what, where we're taking it, or how to regain what we've lost. Uh, and I really wanted to provide a public philosophy so that evangelicals could understand what was going on, and then we could move forward. Um, and so that's what that that quadrant there, I call it a quadrant framework, is really to explain um, all the different players and all the different philosophy, political philosophies that are active in our civic life today. Okay, and so here's now what I would love for you to um, to correct in much of our thinking. Many people listening right now imagine that there is one party that is aligned with the way they think and feel as a Christian, and that there is another party that is not, um, and therefore you're wrong that we need to find a vital center because really we just need to all align with the one party with which we agree. Now, I know because I've read it that you really talk about this sort of like uniparty, there really is just one party controlling everything in Washington, and that one party is what we might describe as a ruling elite class. Um, that's hard for people to imagine, but it does, as a regular person out here, it does help me understand why I feel like I have so little influence, because I'm not in that class. Carmen, that's that. So that's right. And that's really what I discovered as I looked at the kind of the culture war between the left and the right. The Cold Civil War is that a lot of it, there are real substantive differences between those on the left and the right. So there are important differences to talk about. But by and large, most of what happens in Washington, D.C. or even on Wall Street is is political theater. It's there to raise money. But behind the scenes, everything is really being controlled and kind of manipulated by what I call the, you know, the ruling elite, the oligarchy. Uh, that they're the, and they w- once you scratch the surface and go underneath a Republican or a Democrat, our our leaders are not are not different from one another. You know, they take their money from all the same high tech companies. They they're all involved in 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 business deals with China. 
Uh, they're supporters of big pharma. They, they, we saw them all stand in lockstep when it came to war, uh, the war going on in the Ukraine, because uh, they're, they're behind the, you know, the military industrial complex. So they're really not different. A lot of it is to raise money. A lot of it is just to keep everybody divided. Uh, but it's almost like the more div division that happens on the, on the news shows and the cable shows is a distraction so that the ruling elite, that 1% can, can just gain more power. Um, you know, so you look at like something like the lockdowns in the pandemic, uh, they all, the ruling elite all got rich. And the 99% mm -hmm. of the rest of us all got poorer because our businesses were shut down. We were, life was, inner cities were chaotic and violent. There was disorder all through the court systems and, and everybody's at each other's throats. And except for the people in Washington who are, most of them who are getting rich off of everything. So yeah, it was very, very much a, a uniparty, and we're not going to change anything until we we get rid of these. Partly until we get rid of these really, really bad lawmakers and rulers and the people who are, who control everything. So we're talking with uh, pastor and uh, and uh, and author Jim Belcher about his brand new book, "Cold Civil War: Overcoming Polarization." Discovering Unity and Healing the Nation. Um, Jim, um, it seems overly optimistic to imagine that regular Americans who happen to be Christians and happen to be evangelical Christians could do things so substantively differently. Like, right, we're going to have to do things differently if we want to see different outcomes. So can you begin to frame for us what the doing it differently might look like? Absolutely. You know, so, some of it is is doing what the church and what Christians have done best from the beginning. And, you know, that is raising godly families, you know, having strong marriages, godly children, educating our kids, uh, pouring into them because they're the next generation, teaching them about the world and, and how to live in, in, in the world and not be pushed into the mold of the world, as it says in Romans 12. Some of it is being involved in institutions, growing the church, growing uh, all the different institutions that are in, in our small towns. You know, the politics is the local part. Uh, but some of it is then beginning to hold our politicians accountable. We, we've thought for 30 years that if we just get Republicans in there, things are going to change and nothing has changed. Uh, and part of it is because they go off to Washington and they just get bought off uh, by all the money that's there. Uh, and that's why so many of them go in as civil servants and, and humble civil servants and come out extremely wealthy. Uh, where does that come from? They, you know, they, they, they don't make a ton of money. They make a good salary, but not that much money. So some of it is getting the right people in there who can make the, the right changes. Uh, but it is, it's discouraging because it doesn't feel like we can make a huge, a huge difference. But if, but, but if enough people gain a, the insight that they need into what, a, the, you know, what I call the, the new vital center is, I think we can make a difference, but it's a generational project. That's for sure. All right. We're talking with Jim Belcher, author of Cold Civil War. We're talking about um, rediscovering, reestablishing, returning to the new vital center. The book is Cold Civil War. Um, when we come back, I'm going to, um, I'm going to, I'm going to ask Jim to um, to talk with us uh, and describe the moral, ethical, and spiritual battle um, involved in all of this as we seek to return to, rediscover, or re um, 
reinvigorate the new vital center in America, because I do want to overcome polarization, discover unity and heal the nation. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge, and this is Faith Radio. I see you dressed in We're talking with Jim Belcher. The book is Cold Civil War. Um, Jim, you you outline for us this new science of politics. You are really seeking um, to, I think, reinvigorate a vision of American democracy a, a bit in the spirit that Alexis de Tocqueville um, observed when he you know, came to visit uh, so many years ago. Um, you talk about the new vital center. And then, uh, you know, I think part of what we struggle with um, is that this is this not just political, it's not just educational, there's a moral uh, and a spiritual battle underneath all of this. That's right. So um, after I, I spend a chapter or two laying out the new vital center and, and, and looking at what that, exactly what that is, there's still a point where you realize that this is a spiritual battle. And, and that's where I pick up Tocqueville and I talk about the need for kind of Christianity to undergird it all, to be underneath it all. So it's it's not part of the Constitution, but it comes alongside. And I took a phrase from James Caesar at the University of Virginia who calls it a second concert, a second constitution, almost running alongside. Um, and Jefferson talked about the wall of separation and and it's often that's often interpreted by secularists as a high wall so that religion has no impact on the public sphere. But that's not the way the founders saw it. They saw a low wall where religion in the Constitution, religion and politics could talk across the wall as if they're neighbors. Like, hey, how's it going? How are you doing? What what can I do to help? Hey, I have some insights over here, you know? And that's what I finally realized that, that it was Christianity, and or as Tocqueville calls it, he just calls it religion, but it's un, that undergirds the whole thing. And I, then I talk about a guy named Robert Bella who was writing in the 60s and 70s. And, and he said... That if we're going to recharge the American experiment, really, we need to see a revival in the church. Uh, we need to see not only the church regain the gospel and the full Christian life and worldview, uh, but they also need to then understand why constitutional republicanism is the best form of government. And they need to do the hard work of that. But when what he talks about is that if you have the external covenant or the external constitution that is the agreement for us to live together in peace, said, unless that's undergirded by religion and morality and ethics, it just will, it will crumble after a while. And that's what we're finding now. Uh, there's just really nothing to sustain the constitutional life that we have. Uh, and it's because we've lost, we've lost virtue, we've lost truth, all the things that, that make people kind and, and loving towards one another in the public sphere. So, Jim, when people, um, you know, they look at what's happening, let's say, in Ukraine and uh, or they look at what's happening in Chicago or, I mean, let's go down the list and they say to themselves, you know, this is just not right. Like people are not are not respecting personal property. They're not respecting national borders. They're not. um, I mean, look at the southern border. They're not respecting the rule of law. They're not respecting um, even life itself in terms of the treatment of other people. Um, And so we don't need to be convinced that that the foundation has eroded away. I do think that there are a lot of people who need to be convinced that we can do anything about it. And so talk with us about agency, that we really do possess the power to do something. 
Absolutely. I mean, that's, I, I wrap up the book with a chapter on the church, and I call it the heroic role of the church, that ultimately uh, it's going to be the church that needs to lead, right? So you look at the few churches that kind of stood against the mandates in California, and they stayed open uh, you know, in the civil disobedience way. Uh, but you know, we we were attending one, and, and the church just flourished uh, during that time, and many many people came to Christ and were discipled. That there's such a great role for the church, but the church is either divided or scared or has completely succumbed to the culture, and is is not salt and light anymore. So part of it is be part of a church and do your best to be do everything you can in that church to make it a church of salt and light, a church of impact a church that's changing lives and that's discipling people and being a blessing to the city. I mean, that's the first part, but also, you know, only about half of the evangelicals even vote. I mean, how are we going to make a difference when only half of us vote? So part of it is getting agency and becoming precinct, precinct captains, getting involved in the electoral process, making sure they're, they're run fair and they're, and they're just, uh, there are places to get involved uh, we're just a lot of times we're 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 sitting on the sidelines uh complaining instead of instead of getting involved yeah so i love it this is not a book about complaining this is a book about getting off of the sidelines and actually engaging so if you're listening to this and you're saying i'm ready for that i'm ready for that i'm ready to understand it i'm ready to be equipped to do it i'm ready to do it text the word book to 877-933-2484 you can enter the drawing for the copies of cold civil war we have to give away today. Jim Belcher is the author. Um, Jim, um, one more topic before we let you go. Um, I understand that you and your family are currently in Croatia, which makes me wonder, are you on another wonderful pilgrimage of sorts? Uh, yeah, we are. So when we did the one back in 2010, 2011, my girls were really small. We just said they were along for the ride. Uh, they were six and four. Um, now they're 17 and 15, and our boys are have kind of grown up and are out of the out of the house. Uh, but we wanted to give our girls a pilgrimage, um, so we started in Barcelona for six weeks, and now we're over in Croatia. And we're kind of spending our time here studying. They're homeschooled with a video curriculum, and then we're 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 spending our weekends traveling and getting to know the Dalmatian coast. At, we we had hoped to go to Hungary and Poland, and then the Ukrainian war kind of put an end to that plan. There's it's just too close to the action and there's, it's, it's overrun with refugees and they're, they're busy taking care of them. But yes, absolutely. We are, we're on a pilgrimage uh, for our homeschooled girls. I just love that. It's um, so make a, make a case, spend a couple of minutes, make a case for parents taking their kids and doing um, this kind of pilgrimage. Cause this is the second time you guys have done it and uh, it, it's inspiring. Yeah, it's living history, right? So everything comes alive. We were we spent a week in Prague a couple of weeks ago, and we we watched a movie on on one of the key assassinations of a Nazi in Prague during World War II, and the the movie brought it alive. And so then the next day, my girls are like, "Well, Dad, let's go find the place where where it took place. Let's go find the place where the parachuters hid out from the Nazis." So we went to that church and we saw the crypt they hid in, and then we went to see where the Nazis' headquarters were, and all of a sudden. You know, it just comes alive. If I tried to do that in the States, it would be very hard to get them interested in that part of World War II. Um, or we're, we're just up the coast now from where Titus was sent. And when Paul says Titus went to Dalmatia, we're 20 minutes from that. So the Roman ruin, ruins are there and we can go there or walk through Diocletian's 
palace in Split that was built around 297 AD. I mean, it's just living history. And wherever we go, we can we can we can instruct our girls and you know share history with them. And it's let me just say this to your listeners: it you know it, it, once you get over here, it's very economical. Um, we're we're living over here about seventy five percent cheaper than we can in California. Um, it's it's a lot cheaper, and there are places where you can take your family. You don't have, you don't stay in the Hilton. But you can stay in nice Airbnbs um, and have an absolutely amazing experience. It's really great. It's, it's just so great. Um, Jim Belcher is who you're looking for. Cold Civil War is the new book, Deep Church and In Search of Deep Faith are his other books, um, both excellent as well. Jim, um, thank you so much. I hope you'll come back and visit with us again. Absolutely. Anytime. Thank you very much. It's been really delightful. That's Jim Belcher, Thanks Cold Civil War. We got copies to give away. Text the word book to 877-933-2484 to enter the drawing. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge, and this is Faith Radio. My encouragement to you uh, during this Holy Week is to consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. Consider the days in which he lived. Consider the world to which he came. Consider the sins for which he died. Consider Jesus. Consider Jesus entering Jerusalem on a donkey. Consider Jesus cleansing the temple. Consider Jesus teaching on authority and a host of other topics. Consider Jesus. Consider Jesus living in the midst of a world that was seeking to kill him. And acknowledging that that is the reason he came. Consider Jesus. Consider the fullness of time. Consider the reality of God's redeeming work. Consider Jesus. And then, yes, ultimately, consider Jesus on the cross. And consider Jesus in the tomb. And consider your own sin and your own need and God's amazing grace. Consider Jesus. My hope is that in considering Jesus, you will believe in him and receive the good gift of God's grace offered to you in Jesus Christ. It's hard for me to imagine how considering Jesus, you could come to any other conclusion, but I know some people do. And so I'm praying today that you would reconsider Jesus. Thank you for being here. This is Mornings with Carmen. On the Faith Radio Network, you can find us at MyFaithRadio.com. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.